with us today just talking about how we have gratitude for the kingdom of God. Uh, this is the season, obviously, where we're talking about being thankful, and God demands that we are thankful to him. It's part of who we are as his creation. We recognize him as creator and his goodness in creation. And as Psalm 100 proclaims, we are to uh, give thanks to him because he is God it's part of our position and it's part of who we are and it's um, it reveals the genuineness of our new life in him when we reveal that gratitude unlike those of the first chapter of Romans who live their life without giving God his due and they are filled with sin and mockery and rebelliousness we have been transformed by Christ Jesus and so we have a heart of gratitude and our heart is filled with gratitude because of the kingdom of God and certainly the the life that we have in the kingdom of God but I'm just mindful that those who are living in the day of Jesus they understood the kingdom of God but they misunderstood the kingdom of God they they did not know the revealing of Christ they they were just couldn't really imagine taking in his words as he was describing the kingdom of God to be and they were really indignant to the idea that there would be people in the kingdom of God who were not like them. And so I want to just reflect on that for a moment and talk about the transformation that comes when one is invited into the kingdom of God and receives that. So let's go to Luke chapter 17, and uh, we'll hang out there. I'm going to go into verse 11 and following, but let me just go a little beyond that to verses 20 and 21 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come because Jesus has been telling them about the kingdom of God. So when is this going to come? Jesus answers them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, the translation there is really important uh, that we understand what Jesus is saying. In general, the Jewish people longed for the Messiah and were hoping for the Messiah and they envisioned him to be a magnificent leader a bold forthright powerful man who had victoriously reclaimed the Jewish land that had now been occupied by the Romans and they wanted their land back and they wanted their sovereignty back and they believed the Messiah would be the one who would initiate that movement to purge their lives from the oppression that the Romans had brought into their lives so not only was it perplexing to, him, to them to hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and him being the Messiah, it was really offensive to them as he was describing it because it went against the hopes of the religious in that day, particularly the religious Jewish people who believed the kingdom of God to be differently than God was ushering in. So Jesus is explaining that the kingdom of God is not a territory, not as yet, but it would not be something that they would be pointing to as if it's a territory there or here but it would be spiritual it would be in the midst of them and Jesus was telling them that it is in the midst of them the kingdom of God is there it's unseen it's a surprise to them a silent surprise if you will I just want to pause for a moment to just contemplate silent surprises you have to be willing to slow life down to catch the silent surprises. Uh, Evan, our middle son, was living in New York, and uh, when the pandemic hit, there it hit first, uh, and he moved down with us in March. He soon married uh, there after a few months, and now Kay and I are back to being empty nesters. 
another reason to be thankful in this season <laughs> that they come and they, they go and we have a great time together when they're there and we have a great time when Kay and I are alone together but anyway when he was living with us he began to break, bake fresh bread sourdough bread and uh, we were pretty grateful that he was in the house at that point because we had fresh bread all the time and now he has since taught Kay how to do that and just the other day Kay was making a couple of loaves of sourdough bread and she asked me to come and help her because the kitchen aide was doing some wonky stuff and so I'm over there and and just watching the process and sort of helping contain the kitchen aid as it's whirling around she puts it in the bowl and she puts it in the fridge and we go to bed and now you know what happens after that you get up the next day and it's at least doubled in size in fact it's it's not healthy unless it's at least doubled in size now i didn't see that happen in fact if it was on the kitchen counter it would have happened more quickly but i didn't see it i didn't hear it but by the time she put that in the oven and it started baking and it filled the house with that aroma and man is it ever filling the house with aroma and we started slicing into that fresh bread it was glorious silent unseen surprise that revealed glory a couple of months ago I started purchasing some rye grass and I was throwing it out around some areas that I wanted to look out the window of our home and see that winter rye I didn't hear the seed germinate I didn't even see the sprouts come but one day Kay and I looked out the window and said hey there's a green hue in that area the glory that silent surprise had come through the days and nights and I didn't even recognize it, it was just there absolutely beautiful those are silent surprises aren't they they're they're unseen but they are glorious no doubt it happens the same way when pecan trees are opening up and their husk simply falls that pecan to the ground and then you and I would clamor to have the harvest or the gentle breeze that is blowing through the oaks and the maples and the hickories just nudging those trees to fall uh, their leaves and we just watch the beauty cascade around silent surprises they're really all around but you have to slow life down you have to be contemplative you have to watch and see the glory of what is happening around. In some way, Jesus is telling his people around him that there was an unseen kingdom whose glory is being revealed. They may not see it, they may not hear it, but it is in the midst of them. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is humbling, humbly introducing them to the kingdom of God, one soul transformation at a time. It isn't a mass movement. It isn't a big rally. It is happening quietly among people whose hearts are being transformed by faith through Christ Jesus. So God's kingdom comes to earth without fanfare. There's no blast of the shofar. There's no railing against the occupiers. There's no denouncement of Caesar. There's no call to take up arms to fight a holy war for Israel to have their land again. Instead, the kingdom of God has come quietly and it has come humbly. As singers describe it, and you and I will soon sing, Silent Night, that holy night. For now, the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, is not territorial. It's spiritual, and Jesus is revealing that glory. 
to discover and appreciate it. People would have to hear and see with spiritual eyes given to them by the Holy Spirit. But many people were unwilling to do that. They viewed and heard Jesus' message. They saw his ministry, but they discarded it because they were hearing and seeing with a filter of misconception, misunderstanding, mistruths, and unbelief. Just remind us, we've talked about this before, what exactly is the kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in in a spiritual way, one day to be physical. That is, the enemy is defeated, and Jesus Christ, of course, reigns. His righteousness rules. His peace is prevailing. His joy is abounding, and his living is fruitful through us, and his glory fills us. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus was introducing. Now, when people truly understand what Jesus is offering about his kingdom, and we want all those things, don't we? When people understand what Jesus is offering his kingdom, they clamor to get into it. And that's what Luke 16 says. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. That last little part sort of intrigues us, doesn't it? And what he's saying is when they understand what the kingdom is and how they come into the kingdom and what it provides and that God is moving them towards that, then they press their way into it. They want to be in that. This verse, Luke 16, 16, by the way, is a very pivotal verse. It, it is a transformational verse. It's one that everybody ought to know because the law and the prophets were all pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, the apex of John's ministry, as mentioned in this, the apex of his ministry is when he pointed to Jesus very physically and with his words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What he was doing in that moment and what the law and the prophets were doing is pointing to Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is ushering in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is explaining that once people understand what he is offering, he's talking about communion with God, even the vilest of sinners do have communion with God, made holy and right by him. The sanctification of God's uh, work in people, the satisfaction of God's justice against sin, the forgiveness of sin, the uninhibited communion with God. Once people understand what God is offering them to through his son Jesus, they press towards that kingdom. Throughout his ministry, though, there were people that chose to ignore that or rebel against that or discount that or reject it. Jesus is revealing the kingdom. And he is inviting people into the kingdom. But many rejected. They ignored the directions and the instructions of the prophets that had been telling for years and years about the kingdom. They misunderstood the scripture about the kingdom of God. They denied the testimony of others, even those who were transformed by Christ before them. They rejected Jesus and his teachings and his vast miracles. They refused Jesus and his kingdom just because it did not fit into their preconceived notions about God and his kingdom. So that's where the world is. But sometimes people enter the kingdom of God by faith and you're here today because many of you have entered the kingdom of God by faith and so we just pause today to say oh Lord there is a silent working of Christ and his spirit and his word in us that we saw we heard because you gave us ability to see and hear and we just want to pause to say how glorious it is to be in the kingdom to just give thanks, to show gratitude for being in the kingdom of God. 
So Luke 17 narrates one man's experience of coming into the kingdom of God. And by the way, this one man is different than all the others around him who rejected it. Luke 17, verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, when we read phrases like on the way to Jerusalem, we need to recognize that Luke is not just giving us a mere detail of the life of Christ, like the narration of his journey. He's telling us this is a detail of details. He's highlighting to us the provision, the entryway into the kingdom of God. And it is that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to provide that. He's providing access to the kingdom of God. He's on the way to Jerusalem because he's on the way to Calvary's Hill to be on that cross, to lay down his life as a sacrificial lamb. He is only on the way to the holy city where he will bear our sins and pay the justice penalty that is required, pierced for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities. He's on the way to Jerusalem where although he is the prince of peace, he will be chastised and wounded for our wholeness that we might live with freedom of righteousness and abundant life. He's on the way to Jerusalem, passing through Samaria and Galilee, and he does what Jesus always does. He preaches, he teaches, he warns, he encourages, he shows compassion, he performs miracles, he impacts the lives of people around him. He is very purposeful. He's on his way, and while he's on his way to provide the kingdom for all of us, he is ministering very specifically to people. Verse 12, and he entered the village and he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So entering the village, Jesus sees these 10 lepers in a distance and they are calling out to him for mercy. Now they are distant because the law demands that they be that way. They are highly contagious they have a deadly disease that could wipe out an entire community if they lived within the community. Leprosy today is known as Hansen's disease, and it's an infection that is caused by a slow-growing bacteria. I don't want you to be squeamish this morning, but I do need to venture to explain a little bit of the realities of Hansen's disease or leprosy. It starts with white or pink patches on the skin, usually the brow, the nose, the ears, the cheek, the chin, the head. And then it just moves, it spreads in all directions. Early in its stage, be a portion of the eyebrow that disappears. And then spongy, tumorous uh, swellings begin to grow all over the face, distorting the face, and then moves throughout the body as its systemic disease just takes over. And it's really apparent on the outside when a person has leprosy, but inside the person, it is just as evident as the body is being wrecked. The bacteria invades the organs, the bone marrow, and the blood. The disease destroys the nerves causing the person to lose the ability to touch or to feel or to sense pain. Now, if you know pain, we don't necessarily like it, but it is the body's warning sign, isn't it? It's the body's way of screaming, stop that, get away from that. But when you don't sense pain, when you don't feel pain, you can sustain significant injuries and bones and tissue don't heal well and they get 
infections and they are deformed. Now today, there's a cure for the disease if it's identified and treated early, but there was no cure in ancient times. A leprous person was on a slow and miserable process of death, usually taking 10 to 30 years in anguish, sickness, poverty, and isolation. It's among the worst of the communicable diseases that the world experiences, and it spreads easily. Catch this. It spreads by someone infected coughing or sneezing, and somebody healthy breathing in the droplets of that. Anybody want to call for sneezing here right now? <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why not to do that these days. But because it spreads in very unintentional ways, a simple call for a sneeze, then people who are leprous are pushed out of the community. They don't, no one who's healthy wants to be around a leprous person. And so the society has removed all contact with such people. Sadly, they are forced away from the people that they need the most, the people who can give them care and provision, their family, friends, and community. A leper is among the world's worst, most miserable people because they are believed to be cursed by God and they are cursed by their society. By the way, the Bible uses leprosy to picture the destruction of sin. We see it as a disease that affects people so thoroughly, both leprosy and sin. In fact, sin brings a curse of God, doesn't it? Because the result of sin is death. And sin is an inward disease, not just an external disease. Sin destroys the heart and destroys the spirit. And sin impairs people's ability to hear and see spiritually. It desensitizes their conscience and muffles the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sin separates people from the, those that they need the most, their family, their friends, and their community. And like leprosy, only Jesus can bring healing to the sinful conditions for those who call out for his mercy. So like the lepers who saw Jesus, every sinner should call out to Christ, Jesus, have mercy on me. That's the call of salvation. Have mercy on me. Verse 14, when they saw Jesus, they said to him, uh, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed one of my favorite verses of all this section of scripture if a leper believed himself to be healed it was required that he go show himself to the priest i'm glad it's not this way today priests were the ones who actually identified sicknesses especially contagion diseases like that of the skin you had something going on you had to go present yourself to the priest and the priest decides what you have and the priest also determines if there's a healing that has taken place because nobody gets healed of leprosy. In fact, it had been seven centuries since God has been recorded healing a leper. So they were told by Christ, go present yourself, and while they're going, they are healed. And then one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. This passage is about gratitude, but that's secondary to God's primary work in the life of someone who is desperate and without hope. Ten people 
had a terminal condition, forced to live outside their community. They had no hope of being healed except that Christ would heal them. More importantly, they had one hope to enter the eternal kingdom of God, and Jesus was their hope. And he was close enough to give them that salvation of their eternal soul or their skin condition or their internal condition called leprosy. All they had to do is call out to him for mercy and hope that he would act. Now, Luke is narrowing the spotlight onto one of the ten, a Samaritan of all people. Uh, Samaria, if you remember back when we were in kings uh, last Sunday and the Sunday before Samaria becomes the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel and it becomes a place where idolatry is just rampant it also becomes the place where the Assyrians come in and they remove a lot of people and they displace others into that area and those Jewish people mix and mingle and intermarry and they have foreign gods and they were just considered less than human by the Jewish people who came back after the Babylonian period. There, a Samaritan of all people shows gratitude to God for, for bringing healing. So Luke is narrowing down the focus on him. There were nine. The other nine were Jewish. There was all those religious people among them. They believed, though, that they would be saved by their heritage and by their religion. They didn't consider themselves to be the same as a Samaritan, even though they were physically and spiritually in the same place and in need of the gospel, the need of the kingdom of God. But according to the belief of many in the day of Jesus, no one could be more separated from God than a Samaritan with leprosy. They thought that such a person was without hope, yet it was the Samaritan who returned in faith, entering the kingdom of God, who received salvation, who had a relationship now with God through Jesus Christ, who received the fullness of salvation. So no matter how sinful and desperate your life is, no matter how far removed you are from the kingdom of God, you are in the right position when you recognize that you need the mercy of God you are close to transformation when you recognize that if God would be merciful to you, you could be saved. If you know how far removed you are, you're in a good place. So the Lord's healing comes to those who know that they are sick. The Lord's transformation for sinners comes to those who know that they are spiritually de depraved. Of course, the Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of all of that. John 16 says, The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. This verse used to make me a little nervous when I was immature in my faith, not understanding what was happening here. But what joy it is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What good news it is that the Spirit of God would bring conviction because in the conviction we recognize our need for God's mercy. And when we are close to His mercy, then we know the Holy Spirit is at work. And as the Holy Spirit is at work, we can call out to Christ and He will save us. Glory be to God for that. So when you know such conviction, you can be confident that God is working in your life. 
The proud and the self-righteous ignore the Spirit's conviction and thereby remain eternally separated from God. Verse 17, Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus is countering wrong belief here. He's not just bringing salvation to one. He is countering the wrong belief of the nine and the host of others who surround him who disregard his offering of the kingdom of God. He's countering against the wrong belief that some people have an inside track to the kingdom of God, that their sins are less than the greater sins of other people, that they are more deserving of God's kingdom than anybody else. He's renouncing all that. He's pointing against that. Sadly, the nine lepers who were with the one who actually was saved, they were content being healed of their physical condition, disregarding the eternal state of their soul. Jesus cleansed them of their disease, but the miracle of the Samaritan far exceeded that of the nine. Jesus was cleansing the Samaritan not only of his physical condition, he was cleansing his soul. And you get this in this last verse. Your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has made you saved. Your faith has made you whole. That's different. It's not your faith has made you well physically, although it has. But more importantly, your faith that I am Messiah has made you whole as you are entering my kingdom, spiritually today, physically in the day ahead. So I want you to note what people often overlook in this passage. Nine out of the ten were willing to settle for what is less than glorious less than God's greatest miracle offering, they settled for something less than the salvation of their soul. They were content to be physically healed even while dismissing the damned condition of their soul. And that is often overlooked in this passage. Nine out of the ten were more focused on being accepted by their community than being accepted by the Messiah in the eternal kingdom of God. And he is alerting all who are watching and now all who are listening do not settle for something greater than the uh, less than the glory of God so only one of the ten returned to Jesus with saving faith in essence he's responding Lord if you have the power to heal my body then you have the power to heal my soul and that was a demonstration of saving faith we should understand that many people reject the kingdom of God because they settle for what is far less than the glory of God. Don't settle. Western Christianity is often proclaimed in ways that is settling for less than is the glorious kingdom of God. Don't settle. Don't be like the nine lepers who tragically believed that God's most generous provision was their best life now. Don't fall for that. Our best life is in the kingdom of God. And all that it affords us in Christ Jesus is now available spiritually by faith and one day it will be physical in the new heaven and the new earth eternally. So for those who are alive in the kingdom of God, we have much to be grateful for. We have much to be thankful for. Genuine gratitude knows 
and genuine gratitude is experienced the fullness of our salvation for those who know God's conviction of your sins I implore you to come to Jesus by faith today I can tell you with all certainty of his word and of his nature he is willing and able to save you and to make you whole if you've come to a recognition of your sin and that you are distant from him and that you need his mercy cry out to him and he is working today to save so he's on the way to Jerusalem he's on the way through Samaria and Galilee he's on his way to provide the entrance to the kingdom of God and I can tell you today Jesus is at 2525 Rainbow Drive Gadsden Alabama he's here providing for us the kingdom of God it's unseen it's silent except for the words that are being proclaimed and shared if you're not careful you'll miss it in the busyness of life you'll miss it in the noise of life you'll miss it and the challenges of the chasing after you'll miss it but if you'll stop today slow today to contemplate his unseen silent kingdom its glory will be revealed to you its words will open to you and his faith poured out to you can be walked into as you enter the kingdom of God through the door who is Jesus Christ let's pray together Lord I pause to just thank you for your kingdom thank you for Jesus who revealed your kingdom to us who calls us to enter through him thankful for his accomplishment on the cross of Calvary which transforms sinners mercifully and gloriously and graciously to saints. We thank you for the forgiveness that is provided and the righteousness that is imputed that we might live in your kingdom. Lord, the words are echoing in my heart. Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on sinners today. For those who are in need of salvation, maybe they're watching streaming services now or listening by radio or listening to a podcast or catching us on the internet here in this room lord for those who are outside of your kingdom have mercy as i cry out to you let them be made well in jesus name let them forego all the things of this world in order to treasure and cling to all the things of your kingdom let your will be done in their life I pray it unto the name of Jesus.